Together we proclaim the good news of Easter Sunday. Christ is risen. He, he is, is risen, risen indeed. Alleluia. The peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church. And as you can tell, we are continuing to celebrate the great 50 days of Easter, um, which of course began last week on Easter Sunday. Um, so there are several more Sundays that are like this that we, we hope to continue to celebrate that Christ is risen. If you look in your uh, bulletin, you'll see that we have a Connections uh, that has our announcements for the week. Tomorrow, our grief support group is beginning. It is a six-week class at four in the afternoon, and you are very welcome to be a part of that if you have had a loss in your life. Um, and that, the sign-up for that is on the patio today. We already have quite a few people coming, and so we hope that you can be a part of that. You'll also see inside of the connections that our ladies' spring brunch is next Sunday at 10 in the morning, and Christy Christie is going to be speaking. That's quite the name. We heard her speak, actually, at our MOPS group. She has done a lot of research on empathy and why there's a lack of empathy in our culture and how we can develop empathy as ourselves and and in other people, in our children and our grandchildren in particular. So she's going to be a wonderful speaker at Women's Brunch next Sunday morning. You can sign up for, on, on the patio for that too. Our third Friday group welcomes you to join them in hearing about Uganda and about Janet Storton, who ha is empowering women in Uganda through microenterprise. The information about that is on the patio, and it's a potluck, so there is no charge for that. But we do need you to sign up. And also we have a new members class that is going to be April 17th. That class is a way to find out more about us, even if you may are just wondering about our church, would like to have more information about us. That is in a few weeks. And at the end of the month, April 24th, Linda White is going to be telling us about her trip to Cuba. She was on a musical mission trip before Easter, and she's going to be talking about that. It was a very unique trip and a very unique experience. Our deacons, a week from tomorrow, are hosting Dr. Cordula Dick-Mulkey to talk about responding to the behaviors of dementia. 
and they invite the congregation to come and hear um, Cordula during the first hour of the deacon meeting. That's a week from tomorrow. A number of us are dealing with that sort of thing in somebody that we love or in ourselves. <laughs> and <laughs> um, you'll see on the back of the bulletin also that our mission committee has now begun to list some prayer needs that they would like you to notice and that we'll be praying about within the service uh, about some of the needs of the groups that we support as a congregation. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Resurrected Christ, you are present with us this morning, alive in our hearts. You are at work transforming history, renewing your church. So we pray for you to be with us this morning, that our eyes will be opened, our ears able to hear and to celebrate that you are alive, that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. In his name we pray. Amen. Join me in the responsive call to worship from your bulletin. Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called, in right I've, I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people a light to the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Let us sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. So let us stand and praise God together.
Thomas models a transparent faith with these words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We express our longing for God's leading by our own transparent confession. Let us pray. God of birth, God of joy, God of life, we come to you as a people hungry for good news. We have been so dead to miracles that we've missed the world's rebirth. We have preoccupied ourselves with pleasures and have overlooked the joy that you offer us. We've been so concerned with making a living that we've missed the life that you set among us. Forgive us, gracious God. Open our eyes and our hearts to receive your gift. Open our lips and hands to share it with all humanity. And hear us as we bring you now the silent confessions of our hearts.
For we pray through Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. My friends, hear the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Amen. text we read this morning from the end of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, is the text that you often hear at the baptismal fount. And uh, it is a programmatic text that is a summation in many ways of exactly what Matthew wanted to say to the church and emphasize about the mission of the church into which Jesus was sending his disciples. So chapter 28, verse 16 the context is around the sea or the lake at Galilee. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, you have invited us into your presence. You've called us to this place, this post-Easter season. You are with us, and you reveal yourself to us. And you call us to your mission, your continuing mission in the world. We thank you that you are at the right hand of the Father, and that this morning you intercede for us and for your church. We ask now that you will bless us as we listen to you, as we seek to obey and to walk in the Holy Spirit, we ask in your name. Amen. Well, the place in Galilee was a beautiful place. On Easter Sunday morning, Jesus had told his disciples to return to Galilee, to the north of Judea, where it had all begun, where they had had careers in fishing by and large, to return to that place, and there they would see him, the resurrected Lord. We're not altogether sure which mountain it was in Galilee that Jesus was directing them to, but most people agree that it was the mount where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, overlooking the lake at Galilee, a beautiful place with a grove of trees and a nunnery there, and a church built by the Italian government in the time of Mussolini with benches all around a beautiful place that surveys the whole northern part of Galilee. One can sit there and read the Sermon on the Mount, be caught up in the Beatitudes of Jesus, and remember that it was to this place that Jesus directed his 11 disciples to return with the promise that they would see him there. And surely they did. It must have been a wonderful and mysterious experience to suddenly be aware on that hillside as they were reflecting together that the resurrected Jesus was present with them that they could see him with their eyes and they could listen to his words again. That they could touch him. What an experience. After living through the events of Holy Week, now in this quiet place of reflection and beauty, 
to be in the presence of the living Lord. He was physically present. And yet spiritually transformed in a new dimension of life. And it was a life-changing moment. John Ortberg, who's pastor of our Menlo Park Presbyterian Church, wrote a book entitled Faith and Doubt. And in those two words, he summarized the response of the disciples, the 11 on that day. They believed, and yet some doubted. And many have asked, how could they possibly have doubted in the presence of the resurrected Lord. And yet this experience was so beyond anything they had ever experienced before. Every one of us, perhaps, would have been a mixture of faith and doubt. Ortberg said, there are three days of Easter. So the first day, they laid the body of Jesus in the tomb. On the second day, they, they posted the guard, and that was a very dark day. But the third day was the day of God, for whom all things are possible. The third day was the day in which God delivered his people from Egyptian slavery. The third day was when the people of Israel marched into the land. The third day was when a young woman named Esther faced down a powerful king. The third day was when the prophet Jonah was barfed up on the seaport shore after running away from God and given a mission. The third day was when a carpenter was raised from the dead. And the third day is the day in which the church celebrates the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is not dead. He is alive forevermore. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And John said, I cling to that day, and I affirm that clinging. He said, I hold on tight, because the third day makes all the difference in our life and in the life of the church and in the mission of the church and the destiny of the whole creation. The third day is everything, and I cling to it. The tragedy, though, he said, is I live in a second-day world, just like every one of us. And we struggle with faith and doubt. The guard has been posted and yet the stone has been rolled away and the angel has sat upon it and Christ has been seen and all of life is different. But the journey continues for us in that tension of these three days of the Easter time. What does Jesus say to them? We've heard it a thousand times. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Imagine that. They had experienced the authority of Christ. He taught not like the regular rabbis, giving their opinions of various texts as important as that might be. But he had taught as one who spoke with the very authority of God, who spoke the word of truth. And what he was communicating over and over again was that he was the living word of God that called all the creation into being and whose word sustains the whole cosmos. This was the word of salvation, of God's deliverance and rescue of his people. This was the word that became incarnate in order to dwell with humanity, to get close to us, in whose face we saw the face of God. And so it was that word, that authority, that stood in the presence of his disciples, of the eleven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is not just Jesus of Nazareth. This is the one who is not just the crucified Jesus. This is the crucified God, dead but risen and alive forevermore. And he speaks to the church in that authority and his voice, his word is heard echoing down through the centuries. And every time we read this text, he speaks to us through very human words. The one who is Lord of all, before whom Thomas bowed and confessed, my Lord and my God. This is the one with whom we deal this morning. It is on the basis of this divine authority of the Creator, Redeemer of all history, that He speaks to us as members of the church and says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The end was not in Galilee. The end was not in Jerusalem. The end was not even Ephesus or Athens or Rome or Spain. The end was the nations, the Gentiles of the world. This group of disciples were being called like ancient Israel to be a light to the nations, to walk in the way, the truth, and the life, to proclaim the good news that God is real and that God has acted to embrace all of humanity. Go and make disciples of all nations, not just Jews, but Gentiles especially. And so what do we do when we make disciples? I think it comes down to some basic sorts of truths that we all know. That when we become believers, we are incorporated in the body of Christ. And we are made a part of a fellowship 
that worships together, that studies together, that learns to pray, that becomes sensitized not just to its own needs and to what happens inside of a building, but becomes a world church, an international church that realizes that it has a mission beyond itself. And that is good news for the church, that we are not an exclusive group of people, a social club, a country club, a service club, as important as all of those may be. We are the body of Christ made up of individual believers, persons, who have and who are in the process of falling in love with Jesus. And because with Jesus, with one another. And this is a place in which we rejoice together. And we laugh together. And we become a community of attraction together. And people beyond this are drawn to us because they want to be a part of a community that is alive and vibrant with the very presence and power of the one who speaks with authority and who loved the world so much that he laid down his life that we might live and that the joy of heaven might be released and celebrated and anticipated right in our fellowship. I love that vision of the church, a community of people who laugh together, who know one another, who are not afraid of one another, and who are inviting one another to be a part of this fellowship. And I feel sorry for anyone in this community who has not found us. <laughs> because we make life whole to one another. The process of becoming a Christian means that we, we sign up in the school of Christ for the purpose of being shaped and formed into the persons that God alone can make us. And so we worship together and we sing the beautiful music of the church and we study the Bible by ourselves. We study the Bible in small groups. We listen to the Bible proclaimed on, on Sunday morning. We listen because it is the Word of God. It is the Word of Christ. It is the Word of the Holy Spirit. And there's a process of transformation going on. C.S. Lewis said it this way in The Great Divorce. He said, We as just pure humans, animals, if you will, it's like we live in a shadow land. But when we accept the invitation to go to heaven, we begin that movement toward a life that has substance and significance. We land on, at the bus stop, he said, in heaven, and we get out as ghosts is more shadow than substance. And we step on the grass, and he said, the grass hurts because we're not used to the grass of heaven. It is so beautiful and firm and real. But the higher up we go, 
what I think Lewis would say, into Narnia, into the fullness of life, into heaven. The more we are shaped and formed and conditioned and we are made persons of substance and we become the persons that God intended us to be from the very beginning, persons created in the image of God to be filled with, with the Spirit, to know God, to love God, to serve one another, to love one another, to lay down our lives for one another, knowing that God is at work within creation and history. And so it's painful at times. He said, those who remain in the shadow lands, they discover that they can't make it with their neighbors. They are constantly antagonized by other people and find it necessary to move farther away. And the first thing you know, you live in complete isolation, hardly ever seeing the breath of another shadow. And he said, that is the very definition of hell. To be isolated. To be cut off by one's own grumpiness. To live alone. But to land on the shores of heaven is to walk on the green grass that leads into the fullness of life and to substance. You want to be real? Become a disciple, a student, a learner, an apprentice of Jesus Christ. It will not be an easy journey, I can guarantee you that, but it'll be a joyful one and a fulfilling one. And I'm so glad we're on it together. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The world is waiting. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is what we do at the baptismal font. For those who've heard the invitation, who are ready to take the journey, we baptize them in the name of the one triune God. And God comes to live within them. And we begin that lifelong process of dying to sin by our identification with Christ in order that we might be raised to walk in newness of life even as he was raised. Do you realize that it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead? that transformed his body, what if that same Holy Spirit gets you and your heart and your mind? You may end up with the mind of Christ, with the heart of Christ, with a heart that breaks in the very same ways that God's heart breaks for the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Teaching them. That's what we're about. We're a teaching institution, aren't we? But not just an academic thing, as important as that might be, 
In many ways, the church has neglected knowing the scriptures, of memorizing the scriptures. We know very little about the history of the church and about the theology of the church across 2,000 years. We need to know more. Part of being disciples is being shaped and formed by that tradition that we have received. Not just to make us rigid fundamentalists or people who are so uptight that we can hardly walk. but people who are set free by the truth of the word of Christ. Think what this world would be like if we did not have that word given to us. The scholars were scrambling this week. They believed they had found actually some of the original sources of Matthew's gospel, the sayings of Jesus, the source, the Q document, written in Hebrew, hasn't really hit the media all that much yet, but scholars are celebrating. If you only knew the science behind all of that, and the history and the archaeology and the anthropology and the linguistics and all of that, the excitement of finding something that maybe even predates the Gospel of Matthew, first century document. I hope to know more. But what the Holy Spirit does is create a longing within us for the Word which is living, the Word which is Christ. It's not just a document. It is the authority of the living, resurrected Christ as He speaks to us through the very human words of Scripture. Thanks be to God. And the last part of that exhortation, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Need any better promise than that? Over whatever mountain peak you may be walking, whatever valley you may be going through, Whatever the circumstances of your life, however difficult it might be in a world that oftentimes persecutes the church, Jesus says to us, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We've heard the Great Commission over and over again. We're calling it this morning the great co-mission. And what that means is that we're in this, all of us, together. And we're growing and learning and deepening and serving and loving the world in ever deeper ways together. Alone, we cannot make it. And if you think you're going to be a Christian, 
outside the fellowship of the church, you have deceived yourself. I wish I could explain very simply how deep the mission of God through Laguna Presbyterian Church goes. And how many different ways the Lord has used this little church on the west coast of the United States to touch not only Southern California, but our nation and to the ends of the earth. Someday we will know when we are with the Lord and we hear the good news over and over again. Oh, yes. Someone from Laguna Presbyterian Church witnessed to me and shared love with me and encouraged me and rejoiced with me and sent me forth and it has made all the difference. Got an email yesterday. Came just in time. It's the last part of my sermon. <laughs> but it's from a member of our church, Gary Kalman, that we all know very well. Some of you got this. And this is a letter about his work with the Wycliffe Bible translators in East Africa. And many of us have visited in their home in Nairobi. Larry began just as one of these rambunctious junior high kids here. High school, college, university at Cal State Fullerton. But a child of this church who came to know the love of God and whom God called to a mission beyond himself. He's really becoming now a missionary statesman. And I told him years ago that I thought this is how God was going to use him all across Africa. And so he wrote this little reflection. I didn't ask him to do this, but he did it on the Great Commission, the Great Commission. I want to take the time to read it. He said, I really do enjoy my work. I'm in an externally facing Wycliffe role that sometimes has me working with governments or secular agencies because of the importance of local language for education and development work in the communities where Bible translation is in progress. But often I come alongside other Christian organizations and learn what the Lord is doing in their midst. I then help Wycliffe understand how we can work in tandem with and support the success of others who share our passion for all people to be transformed by the Word of God. That's at the heart of what this church is about. So it was with great delight that I helped lead a group of colleagues to the movement of African National Initiatives Consultation of African Church Leaders last month, which was held at the African Union Complex in Ethiopia. As over 500 African Christian leaders wrestled with assessing progress toward the accomplishment of the Great Commission. That is a spreading the gospel to the nations, to the continent of Africa. He said, I was humbled 
by their candid reflections. The devotional scriptures focused on the letters to the churches found in the first chapters of Revelation, where the refrain after acknowledgement of good is, but I hold this against you, a prophetic critique. Those at the consultation didn't just applaud themselves for progress made, but critically considered the gaps and identified problems that have limited the church's reach in making disciples in all nations in Africa. My colleagues and I were able to listen and help church leaders understand the key role local language scriptures play in evangelism, discipleship, and social ministries. Gary has it all together in his understanding of the church and its mission. It was significant that this event was held in Ethiopia. The Christian church in Ethiopia dates back to the first century A.D. and has remained strong despite challenges. From the 7th century, Ethiopia was an island of Christian faith amid a rising tide of Islam that surrounded it. Not only has it retained doctrinal orthodoxy and vibrancy, but the Ethiopian church is outward-looking with a passion for evangelism and is sending missionaries across the Red Sea to the Arabian Peninsula. This set a momentous tone for the consultation as we discuss the Great Commission in Africa. And by the way, he said, we moved into our new flat in Nairobi, he and Lori, and are settling quite nicely. In fact, we've already hosted our Bible study several times, and it's been a joy to reconnect with our friends in the area. I've been to Ethiopia twice in the last month and will be having strategy discussions with our leadership in Southern Africa next month. Lori is enjoying being back in the finance office with our Africa operations and her colleagues are very grateful she's back with them. We just found out that Kelsey, their daughter, will be doing her practicum in Kenya via Columbia University this summer. She'll be doing epidemiology demiological work in Katui, a rural community three hours east of Nairobi. We hope she will be able to visit us on multiple occasions. It's not prideful or arrogant to say that at least some of the growth of the mission of God in Africa, one of the fastest growing churches in the world comes right out of Laguna Presbyterian Church. We've financially supported Gary ever since he went out there. We've literally invested thousands of dollars to keep them on the field, and we pray for them, and they represent us, and they come back here, and they report and we are connected with many, many such co-workers, fellow servants who work together with us to accomplish the Great Commission. The co-mission 
between God and his people and us and one another and our brothers and sisters in this Presbyterian family. Thanks be to God for your faithfulness and for the privilege we have of being a part of something that is so powerful and so meaningful and which we will only know the full implications of in eternity as we sit down with our risen Lord and he shares his thanksgivings and affirmations of us for the many different ways that we have lived and witnessed to the gospel. Stand and join with me in our affirmation of faith. Leader and people, this is the good news which we received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved if we hold it fast, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, and that He appeared first to the women, then to Peter, and to the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is our Lord and our God. Amen. You may be seated as we receive our morning offering.
Church, will you stand as we sing that together? Oh, the darkness shall turn to dawn. Christ, we praise you because you have won the victory over sin and death and redeemed human history. We praise you that you're transforming our lives and our world. We thank you for your church here and around the world, for your work through Wycliffe Bible Translators, through Gary and Lori Cowman. We stretch out our hands before you asking for your mercy for ourselves and for our world. You know the places in our lives that cry out for your saving power, for you to roll away the stones and do the seemingly impossible. In silence, we lay before you the needs of our hearts and of those we love. We pray for the powerful of our world whose decisions have great influence. Give them wisdom and allow them to resist any temptation to abuse their power. And we pray for the small and weak of our world, for those who live in fear of violence, of abuse. We pray for the children and leaders of, of the two Maini children's home in Kenya and ask that they will be able to complete their project in the near future. And in our community, we pray for the many places where you are at work. This week in particular, for your work through Sally's Fund as they search for a new director. We bring you these gifts with great thanksgiving, asking that you will use them and that you will use us for your purposes in this world. Even as we pray for the day when your will is done on earth as in heaven, saying, Our Father, our Father who, who art in heaven, heaven Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
email Gary and said I was going to read his letter to the congregation in the morning. This was his response. He said, I saw in the e-connections that the initial Eastertide message would focus on the great co-mission. What an amazing concept that we are not sent out alone despite our American propensity toward independence. But being sent is in the context of his omnipresence. I pray the message and the worship service are well received and draw people toward trusting in Christ's presence as we seek to know him and to make him known. As Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Amen.